0: You are listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast, episode number 50.
1: Hi everybody and welcome to Therefore a Geek. I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And uh, I'm back, which is kind of nice. Uh, I can kind of see. Uh, Tracy and, and Kurt were kind enough to cover the last podcast because I was having eye surgery and my eyes were burning and, and what have you. And uh, I did
0: all the audio editing, which was an, it was an experience. It was an adventure. <laughs> uh,
1: my trying to stare at the computer screen for 15 minutes with my eyes burning was uh, also an interesting experience <laughs> as I explained <laughs> some things to Tracy. Uh, but I'm back and uh, I'm I'm happy to be so. And today we are talking about Groundhog's Day. It's a little outside of our normal, uh, I will admit.
0: But Bur- Bill Murray is a god among geeks. He is not uh, the god. I-
1: I've never under. <laughs> I've never quite understood the the, the Bill Murray fascination, but. Uh, that's that's neither here nor there. The man is a, is a comedic genius, regardless. Uh, but the other reason we wanted to do it is because this podcast is actually coming out on Groundhog's Day, so we thought it'd be fun. And we, we kind of talked about this a little bit uh, off air, but you know, this is one of those movies that, that has a lot of influence. Uh, so in addition to watching the movie, we also watched uh, an episode of Stargate SG-1 that is basically Groundhog's Day, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. It's called uh, Window of Opportunity, so... We'll talk well, about that a little bit, too.
0: We also considered having Puxatani Phil himself as a guest on the podcast, but we felt like he might be a little boring on the mic.
1: I mean, he was in the movie.
0: He was in the movie. Who's <laughs> cute.
1: Yeah. So, obviously, so, the, so the, the premise of Groundhog Day is Bill Murray is a fairly typical uh, local reporter who, who thinks pretty highly of himself.
0: A meteorologist.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, he's a meteorologist, thinks pretty highly of himself. You know he's he's in Pittsburgh, so he's local talent. But he's he's you know that that's a fairly decent sized market. Um, I learned a little bit about markets because my sister was a broadcast major, so that's a decent sized market. And uh, he he gets sent off to Poxitani to go do the the annual Groundhog's Day uh, stuff. And he's just kind of he's kind of full of himself. He's kind of and he's kind of sick of doing this this what he thinks of as podunk crap and yeah. And so you know he's not very nice to people and whatnot and uh the day goes by, he's kind of a jerk the whole time, and then uh he goes to bed and he wakes up and it's the same day, and this repeats itself over and over and over and over
0: for an undetermined amount of time,
1: yeah, it's obviously a considerable amount of time, given some of the things that happen but mm-hmm. we we don't we don't ever find out exactly how long it's been but I think certainly months to possibly
0: years. I'm thinking years just based on the piano thing. Yeah. And this was also, I mean, he learned French and this was way before the well, time of du- Duolingo.
1: Well, I mean, we never, we never actually verified that he learned French. He spoke French because, uh, his, his counterpart is his producer. Uh, it was played by Andy McDowell and, she is into. She studied French poetry at one point, so he starts reading her French poetry
0: with a pretty Im- in impressive accent.
1: Yeah, though, though they never specify that he actually learned French for okay. that. The piano lessons, are agree, because you actually see him taking piano lessons
0: and having played piano for sixteen years. Let me tell you, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that took a while.
1: Uh, it's a good movie, though. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's definitely one of those. It's a, it's along the same lines as as Bill Murray and Scrooged. Where it's the I'm a jerk, and then I change.
0: He plays an amazingly good representation of a disillusioned, annoyed, depressed man in his late thirties, early forties.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because it it's a, it, it feels a little bit like to me at least a similar character to Venkman in in Ghostbusters. Yes, except that Venkman is not quite so disillusioned. Yeah, he and he's he's. He's not quite the intentional jerk that the character, the character in Scrooge or or Phil in uh, in Groundhog's Day is.
0: Yeah. Well, Phil, I can under... Okay, so if you guys are following us on Instagram, you may have seen that over the New Year's uh, weekend, I was in Pittsburgh for the first time. And so as I didn't realize that this movie starts in Pittsburgh. I didn't realize that that was the town that he was... Uh, a reporter in so when I first saw the scan of the skyline I saw the the shiny uh, I think it's the Carnegie building um and I went oh this is in Pittsburgh but Pittsburgh at least during the brief amount of time I was there and I was told that this is pretty pretty typical weather is very gray so if he's a guy that relies on the sun for his energy like I do there's not really any wonder that he was a little bit depressed plus I mean it's Groundhog Day is the second day after February or after January and January is the most awful month of the, of the I, year. I
1: actually even have, even though my birthday is in February, I think, I think Louis Black has it right that J, that February is actually the worst. Really? Cause it's always so, so fucking gray and yeah. nasty and,
0: and you're expecting spring, but spring isn't here yet. And ugh.
1: yeah, January, I think you're still coming off of the new year's Christmas high. That's fair. Um, but yeah it it it's pretty it's it's not fun,
0: yeah and it gets less fun the more north you go so
1: also true we should should definitely point out that you know if we mentioned ghostbusters here uh this is also the last pairing of Bill Murray and Harold Ramis.
0: You mentioned something while we were watching about that you thought that this kind of did in their relationship. What did you mean by that?
1: So I think if I remember correctly, so I remember reading about this when Harold Ramis passed a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. This was kind of, you know, the, the two of them were like a big comic dynamo, dynamo you know, like the, it was one of those like great pairings, Laurel and Hardy. Um, I can't think of some of the other <laughs> Oh, you know, I went who's for Laurel first? and Hardy. Yeah, who's on first? Oh crap! What the f- Abbott and Costello? There we there go. Oh go. my god, <laughs> my brain just decides to stop working. I mean, they were they were they were up there. They were really in one of those those level of of of, of pairings, and and they had a real falling out. And it, it was it was certainly it was gradual, but from what I understand, the 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 real end to it was Groundhogs. I mean, obviously, this is the last movie the two of them did together but this is also i think i think what really put the nail in that in the final nail in the coffin and from what i understand like ramos was really frustrated with bill murray um bill murray has a tendency to like ad lib some stuff and things like that that was driving ramos really nuts he wasn't sticking to the script he wasn't listening and bill murray admits like he had a lot of other problems going on i don't think it was i don't think it was drugs cuz I, I don't recall bill murray being a dr- big you know with the big drug people alcoholic it, maybe Maybe, but I think I think just in general, like he just had a lot, like a lot going on in his life, and he was he was kind of in real life kind of a jerk about a lot of stuff, and just not.
0: It does look like it comes naturally in the movie. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: and I, and I think I think his work ethic was also not what Harold Ramis was wanting, or what he what he had come to expect from Bill from his from their other other time together. So, mm-hmm. I think that was a, that was the issue. But yeah, this is this is the last uh, film they did. I mean, they did stuff. The like Ghostbusters is obviously the big one, but they did th- several other films together. Um, and I, mean, I mean, this this really shows as a Harold Ramis film too. It's it got the same like it, yeah. same feel, same the the one liners, the dialogue, even though even kind of the way it's shot, the the repetitive shots.
0: I was looking for cuts because so I mean these scenes were shot um, literally emotion to emotion, and I'm I'm. Couldn't quite tell always where the cut was, or whether or not um, he just had talent that was so good at repeating themselves. That they were literally playing, even facial expressions. I think they were
1: playing them, playing it repeatedly the same way. I really don't think it was it was cutting back and forth. And I think that's one of the, one of the, one of the things that's kind of brilliant about this movie. And the casting was really good. I mean, you know, obviously Bill Murray. Um, Andy McDonald did a really fantastic job too. Like better than I, better than I remember. And, um, even, even Chris Elliott was, was enjoyable. He, you know, he's one of those like, you know, D list semi character actors. The only other, the only other thing I can ever think that he's in is, um, actually I, I'd i forgotten. I was looking on IMDb. He was in about 10 or 12 issues of, um, how I met your mother. He played, um, uh, Willow from Buffy. What's her name?
0: Um, Oh, man. Come on.
1: <laughs> no, you're failing. We're doing my well. oh, my, my brain God. is
0: literally melting down right now. Hold on one second. We'll find out.
1: It, it, the character's name is Lily. He played Lily's Lily's dad.
0: Has he aged that much?
1: Yeah, he has. I mean, you figure this was this was in 93. That was, you know, 22 years ago. Um, The, the other film I can think of that he's in is... He had a, he had a minor role in uh in James Cam- James Cameron's The Abyss.
0: Allison Hannigan.
1: Allison Hannigan. Yes, he was alligan Hannigan's uh, father in How I Met Your Mother. I can see that. Yeah, and he, and he plays like a real like he, he's a game inventor who just makes terrible terrible games, uh, and he's basically a bum like living in like living in the basement. Oh no. Yeah, I mean, I really like it. It, it actually, there's some really nice character moments between the two of them, but. But yeah, even 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 Chris Elliott is um is really good in this. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he kind of plays, he's kind of dopey, but he tries hard. You know, he, he's one of those, he tries really hard. He's he, he he's good at what he does, but that's about it.
0: Mm-hmm. That terrible sweater.
1: <laughs> oh, just that. Just the, the, I mean, Bill Murray looks fine because he's in a suit most of the time. Right? You know, he's in, but the the costumes in general are very 1990s.
0: Oh man the the, the hotel's
1: the... very 1980s.
0: Oh yeah. But that's expected. You wouldn't expect it to be updated every decade. But Andy McDowell's vest, Lord, you—you guys, very, I'm sure you it's remember. It's very
1: early Friends.
0: Yes, it's got the it's got the pattern on the front that looks like wallpaper, and then it's got the shiny sort of satin polyester stuff in the back with a little tie in the back. To be, to be I used to wear vests like well, that. Well, I mean,
1: to be perfectly honest,
0: there—I
1: mean, that is a lot of how vests look in general. Like, not not the pattern on the front, but like the the shiny material on the back. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I have, I have, like, I think a a paisley, something I was using for a Halloween costume, a vest. I mean, I, I like it, but... um.
0: Well, on a guy, it's a little different because that's designed to go under the suit and not create friction and all that stuff. Right, but, but yeah, it's, that is exactly oh, what the back
1: looks like, but yeah. um, Yeah, very early, early Friends look and...
0: And the, the balloony style pants and the, with the high waist. Oh, oh, it was just, <laughs> it was not good.
1: Yeah, I mean, the movie... Movie is really good. Like it I'm is just, good. Yeah, you know, it's funny you were thinking about that like when you talk about doing the cuts? Like I was just thinking in general about cuts. I mean, it's really it's it it feels very seamless. It it flows from one scene to the next, one bit to the It I, I think you're right in terms of it's not even scenes as it is almost emotion to emotion. Yeah, you know, the scene changes because the feel and the emotion changes, not because we need to move somewhere else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you can see him getting impatient with the day taking a full 24 hours each time. So, for instance, um, the scene that brings this to mind is them playing with the snowman and the kids come by and pelting them with snowballs. Yeah. The first scene... Just went so smoothly for him. You know, it actually flowed naturally. She's starting to really see that he's not quite as much of a jerk as she originally thought because he's progressing as a human being. You know, they set up the snowman. He clearly already knows what's going to happen because he has the two pieces of coal and the pipe in his pocket. Yep. However, everything flows normally. And then this at the end of the night, she rejects him and he's upset. So the next day he tries to repeat the same day again. And it doesn't quite go as well because he's impatient to get to the next moment.
1: Right. Well, that, and that's one of the things. So, throughout the movie, at least kind of one of the, one of the earlier things he does is uh, starts picking up all these different women in the in the in the in the town.
0: All of them. Yeah,
1: like like all, all them. of them, and then he finally tries to go after after Andy McDowell, and she rejects him. And then he tries again, and there's there's a, there's, a, there's a great montage of him getting slapped at various times by Andy Andy McDowell. <laughs> Various points. And I think my favorite one is she slaps him in front of the hotel and then he stops and opens the door for her.
0: And <laughs> what I think happened specifically there is that he's realizing the importance of the first impression. So these other women. Really, I mean, yes, he shows up once a year, but he doesn't bother to get to know anyone in the town. He doesn't know these women. This is their first impression of him, and he's able to woo them. But Andy's already kind of formed an impression of him in the past day or or so that he's been traveling into town. So even though the day's repeating, she has some memories prior to that day. And he was a real jerk. He really was.
1: There's that, and it's also... It's one of those things... It's intentionally set up so that you feel that there is more to Andy than just, like, what he figures... Oh, you know, every, whatever what works out all the time with all the different other women, it gets him close with Andy, but it doesn't actually...
0: It doesn't seal the deal. Right,
1: it doesn't make her enamored with him. And when he finally becomes, actually becomes a legitimately better person, that's when she falls for him
0: because he he tries i mean let's say a couple of months every day he figures out what her response is to the next and he just keeps replaying the exact same day so for instance the toast the the bar scene yeah i was about to say the first of all good scene he orders a different drink he figures out what she likes then he orders it twice in a row then he figures out the toast and he's trying to figure out what's the formula to getting basically in her pants right and it doesn't work and it's not going to work, which is something that he sort of learns. But he does. He do- I also like the idea that he doesn't just change for the better in that he goes out and helps the old ladies fix their car flat. He doesn't just fix the guy that's in the restaurant. He's also improving his own mind. He's learning to ice sculpt, which is kind of weird but fun. He plays the piano. Bill Mario
1: with the chainsaw is slightly disconcerting. I'm not going to lie. It was a
0: little scary. It was a little scary. Um, playing the piano reading more poetry and then after a while you start to see him reading for pleasure, not because he's trying to get Andy um, sitting in the diner. And it's when he improves his mind that he also changes his attitude towards the world. He he actually learns that podunk town doesn't mean boring.
1: Well, he, he becomes a part of the town. Like he, he really, he doesn't just help people like he, he be, he befriends them. He, he becomes a part of their community and that's kind of the, the, the difference. Cause there are other times he does good things and it it, it doesn't work out.
0: Mm-hmm. The old man on the side of the road. Yeah. Like the that homeless was, guy.
1: that was tough. Uh, that was also, that was one of those, like there are various lessons, obviously that Bill Murray's character is learning. You'd be a good person to be part of the community, you know, treat others respectfully, be good to them and whatnot. But it's also like he learns that, that sometimes there are just, there are things you cannot fix. Mm hmm. So, so like one of them is, is there's an old homeless man he sees every morning who's asking is asking for money. So the one day he gives him money, and then later that night he runs into him. The old man's not looking so good, so he takes him to the hospital, and the old man dies. And and the nurse says, you know, sometimes people just die. Yeah. You know, and that's that's it's that's a painfully difficult lesson to learn, especially at any point in life. But for someone who thinks that they are in complete control, and especially after Bill Murray. There's a whole montage of Bill Murray killing himself. Like it's, 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 it's as, and as twisted as it is, that is actually my mother's favorite part of that entire movie. <laughs> and she, she freely admits it's pretty twisted. And but he
0: doesn't ever pick any easy ways. There's no gunshot no. to the head and there's well, no, no bleeding well, out in well, a bathtub.
1: Well, I mean, he, he mentions like he, like after the actual after the little montage, he's talking to uh, the waitress in the diner and he spells out like, I've tried the following methods and he does mention shooting. Okay. He, yeah. Like he he mentions that at one point, but you know, for someone who, who has effectively lost his lost touch with with life and death because of this repeating of the day, even after he's killed himself, having that brought back to him is, I think, is even an even deeper moment for him.
0: Mm-hmm. I would agree.
1: Um, so, like we mentioned, though, this is not just a a comedy it really has become a a a part of the cultural zeitgeist yes you know if you ever hear someone talking about doing the same thing over and over again every day they say oh it's like groundhog's day the actual groundhog's day quote-unquote holiday has nothing to do with the day repeating itself over and over again it has to do with this movie
0: yeah um interestingly this is the first time i've actually watched this movie this is one of the few movies and, and we're, we've sort of been on a kick. Um, periodically, we'll watch a movie that is sort of a, a part of the general pop culture that I have not seen before. And then we talk about it. Right. And in for many of these, I've had it sort of spoiled for me in that I go into it with some impression already. I've seen some one liners. There are gifs all over the Internet from it. Whatever. And yes, I knew that the premise of this movie was that it repeated over and over, but there really aren't that many one-liners that are quoted. It's more the general idea of Groundhog Day.
1: It, it, yeah, it's it's a conceptual thing. You know, you're right that un, unlike, I mean, again, other Harold Ramis, Bill Murray movies, Ghostbusters and whatnot, it's, it's not very quotable. It it really has more to do with just, just the feel of the movie and, and, and the idea and the premise. Mm-hmm. And like I had mentioned before, again, after this, I made Tracy watch an episode of Stargate SG-1 that -hmm. that actually, again, that borrows that premise. And it it actually has some of the same, I think, themes to it.
0: Bettering yourself in learning golf and learning to juggle and so forth. The main characters um, figure they they may as well use this time wisely. So they learn some cool things.
1: kind of. So... Two two of the characters, Tiok and O'Neill, get stuck in a six-hour-ish time loop. Ten, is it ten?
0: They spent, They say it's ten. Yep.
1: Okay, so a so ten-hour time loop, and they just keep repeating it over and over and over again because it's something that's happening on some alien planet because it's Stargate and that's what they, it happens. But in order to stop it, because it's it's caused by this alien device, eventually what they figure out is they they've got to decipher the all the all the alien script on the device and. And 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 figure out a way to to use the controls to stop it. But you know, halfway th- first, they've, they've got to learn the alien language. They've got to decipher all the text. They've got to remember all the
0: text. Because these are the only two people that can remember uh, what's right. going on day to day. So their normal translator can't do it because each day he has to start fresh, and there's not enough time in the day.
1: Right. Uh, but th- there there are similar similar aspects of of the of the show in the movie at one point they get really bored and frustrated so yeah they start screwing off they start golfing they start you know practicing driving through the Stargate which yes. is really funny because O'Neill is in like old school golf like the the three quarter pants with the, the high socks and the... not color wise but if you if you want a good example go look up Alice Cooper golfing oh
0: yes uh, you've showed me that picture before there,
1: I, I mean there's a bunch of them <laughs> Alice Cooper golfs in colors that are offensive to the blind <laughs> but aside from that like he does the old school again the the shorter pants tucked into the tucked into the the, the, gloves. the, the really high argyle socks the the very the the polo shirts and it's really funny it I, is. and I, and but so something if you look up that and uh but think you know non offensive colors <laughs> And so what else does Daniel do?
0: They're juggling. Yeah, they, they learn. They, to juggle.
1: They learn to juggle. Although that that's that's actually not like necessarily during when they're screwing off. That's more just Daniel keeps going over the same stuff over and over again. They're bored. Yes. Actually, I that's actually kind of what leads to them screwing off now that I remember right.
0: Yes. Yes. And they but they also learn Latin. They also um and they're able to actually give lessons to Daniel on some of the um the different possible ways to conjugate verbs and so forth right, well, that lead to different translations.
1: So so just since that's actually the only episode of SG1 Tracy has actually watched. It's true. The, the device in question was built by a race called the Ancients and Latin is actually a derivation of supposed to be a derivation of their language. So that's what they were uh, learning. Latin is it's okay. good. It's a good stepping stone. For I was that. wondering about that. Yeah.
0: Okay. So going back to groundhog day, what do you think is the ultimate lesson that led to what? Cause they're, they're very ambiguous about what it is about that final day that allows him to make the jump to February 3rd. What do you think it was?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I'm making fun faces. Well, I think because, you know, do, do, visual, do, visual do, things do, in, a, do, in an audio do. podcast. No, I mean, that's, that's a good, they, they certainly leave it ambiguous. Again, I I think it has to go has to go back to the. Not only is he a better person. He becomes, like I said, a part of the community. He helps people not because it benefits him, not because he's going to get anything out of it, but because the people who need help. And he has learned the important lesson. Like other times, he was helping people. Like I said to get in like Andy McDowell's pants. Mm-hmm. Like he was trying to do that. And he kind of gave up on that Mm -hmm. and he just did things because they are, they help other people and they're better for everyone.
0: Yeah. I think that he realized what true love was because up until that point he said, I love you when he meant I was in, I am infatuated with you.
1: That's all. That's also true.
0: And at the end he kisses her forehead. They lay down in bed, but they, nothing happens. Right. Just because he likes being around here. Now, I will say, just from the point of view of a woman who has been in multiple relationships, it's going to be really weird for her for the rest of their lives because he's always going to be a couple of years ahead of her in the whole love cycle. <laughs> going Because he's going uh, to be totally, entirely in love with her. And she's just figuring out that he's a decent human being that's gonna be I mean, awkward
1: uh, yeah and that's that's, that, that's a movie trope though you know they're, they're not looking at the 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 future true it's really you know the movie ends that's the moment
0: I was telling I was talking right after the the movie ended that I really would like a sequel but I don't really want a sequel I just want about 20 minutes figuring out what happens to him once he goes back to Pittsburgh <laughs> or in Maybe moves to Pakistani as he mentions in the last scene. Yeah, um, no, that'd
1: be, that, that could be interesting. Unfortunately, you know, with Harold Ramis's passing, we're not going to get that. Yeah,
0: and Bill Murray. I've I don't know if anybody's watched the Bill Murray Christmas special that was on Netflix, but Bill Murray is not looking young these days.
1: He's not young. I mean, he's, no, I know. <laughs> you say he's not looking. It's because he's not young. <laughs> I mean, that's straight up. That's yeah. that's 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 no shit reality.
0: But there are people like um, Anthony Hopkins that took a long time to age. Bill Murray did not do uh, that.
1: You know who is actually one of my favorites who took forever to age is Angelica Houston.
0: Yes. I mean, she yeah. lo- she looks
1: rough now, but like, I mean, she still she still looked really good in like Adam's family, and even for like a good fifteen or twenty years after that.
0: Yeah. Well, she had a very unique face, so she did. I don't yes. think she aged in the normal ways either. Um. But, but yeah, she's she was also in a, a show about music the music industry or something it only ran for i think two seasons and it ended a couple about a year and a half ago two years ago um yeah so overall impressions i, I mean it's a
1: classic you know it's definitely one of those that that is worth seeing again because it's it, it has become a part of the cultural zeitgeist it, it gets referenced in various forms oftentimes when you don't when you don't realize it um, and I think the, the the filming this is from cine- a cinematic perspective. I think it's a, a very well put together film. We mentioned that you know the cuts are very seamless. The acting is very strong. When they're repeating scenes, it's not cut and cobbled together. It they're acting at the scene in, in a nearly identical fashion every time. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just enough different that you know it's it's not the same. It's not the same scene dropped in it. it's something different something new yeah and that's that's really well done
0: um overall I would say the same I do think that Andy McDowell's character has a terrible taste in alcoholic beverages sweet vermo- vermouth is absolutely nauseating however
1: I mean, it's to each their own
0: <laughs> it's true Um, but at the same time I would say this is a movie I'd like to see again because I, I just got this impression that there were little things that were going uh, that i was missing that someone who had seen this movie five or six times would probably catch little things in the sides i,
1: I think that's that's a harold Ramos thing too because like ghostbusters like it's a really good movie you watch it more and more you catch more and more little stuff yeah I, I think there's a certain depth to a lot of the stuff he does that that's really fun yeah so tracy in my absence what have you been into
0: Let's see. I finished up uh, watching Arrow through season three, I think, is the last season.
1: Last season on Netflix, yes. Yeah. They were, currently, we're currently in season four.
0: Okay. Um. I have to say that um I did not fully pay attention to every single episode. But John Barrowman is starting to look a little older, too. Um. I watched all of Torchwood. I watched all of Broadchurch. I've been on a Netflix kick, and I seem to have sort of strayed into BBC territory lately. There are worse things. Yeah, they put out
1: they put out some quality television.
0: They do, Um, and I've been watching X Files, so I'm almost done with season four. I think it's season four where uh, Scully has. Oh shit! X Files can't be spoiled. No. Yeah. Okay. She has cancer, and the reason that I'm paying a little bit more attention to X Files right now is because, of course, we are in the middle of a six-episode miniseries that was
1: ten. I thought it was longer
0: than six. I'll double check and put it in the show notes, but um, I I. I know that we're in the middle of it and there is the miniseries revival. Yeah. And there are, of course, web rumors that it may be extended. I know that, um, I believe David Duchovny is actually really excited about doing these again. I'm not so sure about Gillian Anderson, but she seems to be. So we may be looking at, at another full season of X-Files, which would be really cool. I think. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm reading a little bit here and there. I've been reading Sheriff of Babylon religiously because Tom King is amazing. And I am still, I know I've talked about this several times, but I'm still in the middle of this book called uh, By Way of Deception. And it's nonfiction, so I pick it up and I put it down. And then I'm also going back and reading um, Cynthia Downing, Downey? I can't remember her, her name, but she wrote Jackaroo and uh, a couple other books like that. It was one of my favorite books when I was a kid, so I'm actually reading that um rereading it cuz i was going through my library the other day and found it and thought oh i haven't read this in forever so i'm rereading that as well
1: nice so obviously since having the eye surgery a lot of visual stuff it got kind of got put on the on the on the back burner for a while i'm um, finally i think last night was the first night i actually wa- we actually watched like a movie i watched a couple things on on, on off of youtube a couple nights ago but the first like Real sit down and and watch and uh, my vision's getting better, but it's still got a little ways to go. So it was enjoyable. It wasn't probably as enjoyable as as, as it has been, you know, prior to. But we watched mm-hmm. The Martian. That was always again, That was really good. I have been listening to audiobooks uh, a lot, actually. Um,
0: you have an Audible account. I do. Nice.
1: I just finished the uh, the biography of Steve Jobs. The one that came out shortly after his death really good at times it gets a little long because steve jobs you, you get on the one that's like oh hey look steve's being a dick again okay <laughs> like, like that kept coming up and people like there were you know various things in his life would happen and like, well maybe steve will steve will change nope nope didn't change okay sure you know it was it was one of those but so, some of the
0: do you think that's because of the author's agenda or just that Steve Jobs was a dick?
1: No, Steve Jobs was a dick. Okay. Uh, hands down. Now having said that, I think the author actually did a good job of of showing both sides because there was more to him than just hey, Steve's a dick.
0: Mhm.
1: At times, you know, there was, there was there was there were some touching moments with his with his family and and things like that that the author talked about. So that that was an interesting. And and I think what the portions that were most interesting were the early days of Apple, and then some of the stuff at his return to Apple, and some of the stuff with like Pixar, the fights with Disney. Yeah. Uh, early on, um, Toy Story would have been very different uh, had Disney had had more of the run of the show. Uh, Woody would have been a lot a lot more of a jerk. So.
0: Uh, that that was
1: that was really interesting that
0: was when he was most interesting to everyone was just when he was in when his creative ideas were in conflict with others and then he ended up proving to be to have what consumers wanted It's,
1: it's it's not it's not even that i mean like like in terms of corporation wise like apple had a different view than like than microsoft or ibm or like those kinds of things but a lot of times in general he and his team would have a con a a a group view or feel, especially once he got back to Apple the once he was b- back at Apple after you know sometime in the mid nineties when they started reintroducing the Mac and like the iMac and things like that, when he started doing that, you know he had a, a a core group of people around him that he was able to work with and yeah, Steve was still kind of a jerk and he'd you know tell tell him that you know what they were doing was crap. But he respected them in in a lot of a lot a lot of ways that was different, and they would feed off each other. They would work together. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of stuff was really interesting. But it, it, towards the end, it, it got a little repetitive and a little drawn out in terms of. I, I think the first two thirds of the book were really good. The pacing kind of fell apart a little bit in the third act.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, what mm-hmm. else have we been doing? That's that's a lot. Um, I actually I broke out my uh my my artist edition of the life and times of Scrooge McDuck the other day, and I'm I, That's always enjoyable cause it's the giant, you know, two and a half foot tall. Yes. Uh, volume, and with my eyesight being the way it is, it's it's getting better. But the way it is at the moment, like the, the nice big art was <laughs> was helpful. Yes. So. That's that's about it for me. So, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head on over to thereforeageek.com and check out our blog posts and our old podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes and Stitcher. So, once again, I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And you have been listening to Therefore I Geek.